From Alaska Team Media Institute, I'm Madison Knudsen. This is Podcast in Place, a series about life in Alaska during the COVID-19 pandemic. In our last episode, we spoke with allergist and immunologist Dr. Jeff Demain about long COVID. He called it the second wave of the public health emergency. For this episode, we're going to talk about preparing for and responding to long COVID. Our guest is Wendy Williams. When the pandemic started, she was working as a school nurse in the Anchorage School District. Since then, she took a contract job with the CDC Foundation as a school nurse consultant for the state of Alaska. In this role, Williams works with school districts, urban and rural, on health issues involving students. She provides support, resources, and training opportunities to school nurses all across the state. ATME producer Addison Wallace-Moyer spoke with Williams about how long COVID has been affecting youth throughout the state, how schools have been preparing to help students with lingering symptoms, and other health concerns overshadowed by the pandemic. They spoke on July 21st, 2022. In terms of your work, what do you see long COVID as, especially in terms of potentially affecting the state schools? Long COVID um, was something that started, we started to see kind of early on, but weren't really sure what was going on. Why were people still suffering, um, still having symptoms or other issues, maybe not respiratory or acute illness related, but other areas of their bodies were affected. So neurologically, cardiac, uh, things like that. And so for a school setting, those things can still impact students and children and the long-term implication that that has on those students and their learning and educational goals is pretty significant. So we wanna be able to provide resources to schools, teachers, staff, and health service providers so they can best help those students not only recover through their long COVID process, but also still be able to Uh, engage in school and learning and activities. Is there a precedent to help students with long extended illnesses like mono, for example? Absolutely. Long COVID is no different um, than other illnesses that are long-term and would have an impact. So if things or illnesses are causing students to miss a lot of school days or require additional supports in the classroom, then there are long-standing policies that help support that. So special education through an individualized education plan or via um, 504 accommodation plan um, to be able to provide accommodations in the classroom where that student may not need specialized educational plan or alterations in what they're learning, but just support so they can continue to attend and get the same information that all the other students are getting. So are you using these types of responses for long COVID or have you had to come up with new ways to help students and teachers deal with being sick for extended periods of time? That's a great question. Um, Long COVID is no different than other illnesses or issues that affect for chronic health issues. So it's kind of tailored to each and every student um, and not everybody's long COVID experience is exactly the same. So things that we've learned in the past for other health issues, we can still use and apply to a long COVID situation to help mitigate symptoms and then be able to support students in their learning. 
So will you talk about any of the new ways that you guys have had to help students and teachers deal with being sick for so long? Sure. Um, one of the big things that we see is extended absences or needing to take time out. Um, fatigue, brain fog are huge side effects that people are experiencing with long COVID. And so trying to um, help those students um, get through those issues, but still be able to um, learn what they need to learn and take tests and um, read and use the computer. So um, if they need to take frequent breaks, if we need to modify um, how we're delivering that education, um, you know, reading and rapid eye movement uh, can be taxing on the brain. So maybe we need to utilize some um, uh, more auditory learning situations and things like that. So there's a lot of things that can be done um, but we want to just make sure that we're focusing on what the student is experiencing and then providing supports that tailor to those specific needs. So because of COVID, there are a lot more reasons for students and teachers to be out of school for long periods of time. What kind of conversations have there been regarding keeping things moving forward when teaching and learning is interrupted? For example, making sure both teachers and students don't fall behind. It's taxing, not only on the student um, when they start to not feel like they can do what they used to do, um, whether it's in the classroom or activities outside of school with peers, sports, um, and other things like that. Um, and the teachers feel it too because they care about their students and they want to see them advance and learn and be able to do the same things that they used to do. So I think everybody feels a little bit of that weight, whether you're the parent of that student and you're concerned about their educational future and their long-term goals, um, whether you're the teacher or other support staff in the school, watching a student struggle um, and needing more supports, or most importantly, if you're that student who's just feeling like, gosh, I can't focus for as long as I used to be able to, or I'm getting body aches or muscle aches, or I'm having trouble with shortness of breath and breathing um, and concentration, focus, all those things. So we want to be able to um, help those students um, not feel as stressed about it um, and break it up into pieces where we can focus on what they can still do and be able to still achieve. Have you had teachers out for long? Do you have to deal with that? having that not only the learning of the of an entire class of students multiple classes in middle school and high school but also having the teacher out and or does that even fall under your jurisdiction so we have um school nurses across the state who'll call in and say here's a situation that we're dealing with whether it's a student or whether it's a staff member um a school nurse wants to help and care for everyone in the school. And that includes the family and the community at large. So yes, absolutely. We've had those school nurses call in or administrators um, of schools that don't have a school nurse or a health service program and say, hey, you know, we have this situation and, you know, how can we help them? What can we do to support them? Um, and so we are seeing that not only from students, but teachers and those schools reaching out for more support. Could you tell us about the role you play in communicating what's going on with COVID and long COVID? Sure, absolutely. Um, one of the things that the school nurse consultant team started um, when COVID first hit was um, an educational ECHO program through the University of Alaska. And so there's a school health ECHO that occurs 
Um, we wrapped up at the end of May for last school year, and we'll be starting again in August for the next school year. Um, those had been occurring weekly last year. This year, we'll be um, reducing that, so we'll probably about every two weeks um, through that school year, and then maybe a few pop-up sessions in addition. Um, and that's the opportunity that we have um, for our um, physician on staff with our school nurse consultant team to provide updates on COVID, to provide updates on other health issues affecting students, um, and then also provide education on things like long COVID. Um, we had a, um, an entire echo session that was dedicated to long COVID and the implications that that has on students and what the school staff, administrators, and nurses can do to support those students. Uh, what is an echo? Um, an echo is a um, learning session uh, that is put on. So there are a variety of type of educational echo programs that are out um, in public health. And a lot of them I saw come about through COVID. So they have a vaccine echo where providers can check in and learn about um, kind of the updates and new things that are occurring with vaccinations, with public health, um, they have them for emergency services. They have them for um, the school health educators. They have a religious echo. Um, so people can find out how COVID and other issues are impacting um, those community organizations as well. So it's just an opportunity, a learning session that anyone can uh, register for and then listen to that session. Um, it's great because oftentimes there's a case presentation and we can see how these things are affecting individuals um, and therefore our community as a whole. So we t tend to have this general consensus that youth are less likely to have severe COVID symptoms. Will you talk about if this is the case? So um, that's a great question. Um, I think with any illness, um, COVID can impact people differently. And so um, while a vast majority of individuals may experience mild symptoms or asymptomatic cases of COVID, there's still a percentage of people that can have more severe um, cases of COVID. And it's really dependent on the individual factors that are impacting that person. What's their past medical history? Do they have other underlying conditions or illnesses? Do they have autoimmune issues? Um, do they have a history of respiratory illness or other cardiac complications or a history of neurologic complications that could be more impacted by that illness? Um, and so while most children are absolutely healthy and um, can handle most illnesses just fine, um, there's still that percentage, uh, small percentage that can be impacted more than others. So when we talk about the impacts of long COVID on schools, are we talking about the impact on students or is it mostly staff that have long COVID symptoms? So I don't have specific data on who is experiencing it more. Um, I think it's both. And I, I think it's equally important. We have very phenomenal teachers um, in education and they do it because they have a passion to educate they want to see students learn. They're good at it. They have an ability to make connections. And so I don't think um, looking at it teacher versus student, which is more important or which can have the biggest impact, I think they're both equally as important. Um, that being said, at the end of the day, our 
goal in a school setting is educating students, and they are absolutely the number one focus and priority for anyone who works in a school, because that's what we're there for. So um, I think it's equally important, and they both need to be looked at and need to be supported equally. What kind of long COVID symptoms have school nurses seen in students and staff in the last year? So some of the reports that um, we our team has received um, has been minor things, just ongoing headaches. Um, students who had um, either a mild course um, of COVID and then they recover, but then symptoms start to return or they start to experience minor things like headaches or continued fatigue, um, concentration difficulties, focusing difficulties. Then there's uh, another subset that we have had school nurses and, and school staff call in for support where it's more serious and more complicated than that. Um, cardiac issues has been a big one. Um, and so that, that's always difficult as a school nurse um, and the school staff and even in communities um, because for most people, it, it is something that they recover from just fine. And when it impacts a student or a staff member longer uh, and longer term complications come about from that, it's, um, it's difficult. What have you and your team learned from these experiences? Well, I think we're always learning and that's really important. Um, I think the biggest takeaway that we have is um, how we can support the staff and the students and really focusing on um, being able to take care of oneself and that self-care aspect. Um, in my 14 years as a school nurse, um, you know, there's always been a focus on getting the student back to the class, back to the class. And while that's very important, I think COVID has taught us that um, illness can be serious and it's not something where we just have to always pick ourselves up by the bootstrap and, and keep chugging along. That it's okay to take that time um, for self-care, for recovery, and making sure that our body is as healthy as possible so we can be able to focus and our energy on those most important things like learning and sports and peer interactions, social development, cognitive development. Have any of these experiences changed your approach for preparing for the upcoming fall semester? Yeah, um, burnout has been huge. So um, wanting to really focus um, our school nurse consultant team on providing um, wellness um, tips, not just for students, but for staff as well. Um, caregiver burnout is huge. And so we wanna make sure that the staff who are responsible for taking care of students um, and the teachers who are in the classroom every single day have that um, support and ability to be able to take care of themselves. Um, if we can't take care of ourselves, it's hard to take care of others. So that's been a big focus moving into the next school year. How do you balance trying to get students back into the classroom and trying not to let COVID spread? That's a great question. Um, I think we have come a long way in COVID and we have a lot of tools in our COVID tool belt to help 
um, combat the spread of an illness. Vaccinations are important, um, not just with COVID, but for um, all childhood preventable diseases. Um, making sure that um, we are cognizant of how we are feeling and what our exposure risks have been and making sure that we can continue to um, remind the staff, the students and their families of those things as well. Um, continued masking uh, in situations where um, the COVID spread is high, uh, when individuals are um, in quarantine or have completed their initial five days of isolation um, related to the specific guidelines provided for that depending on you know, their illness, their symptoms, and their vaccination status. So making sure that we are still taking care of one another um, and being having that personal responsibility um, to help prevent COVID from spreading further. Uh, that's one thing that has always been in the back of my mind um, through the last several years of COVID um, when I talk to individuals uh, is reminding them, you know, it may not have been too bad for you or your course of illness may have been relatively easy and you may have recovered well, but that doesn't mean that that will be the case for the next person. And there is always a potential for spreading it if we've been exposed, whether we're asymptomatic and don't realize that we're, we're can spread COVID or if we're recovering from COVID um, still being responsible for ourselves and uh, limiting that transmission risk. So you've mentioned making sure that people know when to go to the doctor, like when to do all of these things, how to take care of themselves. What is your plan for making sure people know these things, for educating? Absolutely. Um, that's one thing that's, that's huge as part of our school nurse consultant team is making sure that um, school districts are aware, not only for COVID, but for other illnesses as well, um, of what's okay and what's not okay. Um, and so we provide support and education, uh, educational materials. Um, uh, we have a new um, section of um, our department that's the Office of School Health and Safety that's being um, brought online. And so that is a resource where school administrators, school nurses, the school nursing leadership can reach out, find information, um, and then also um, contact and speak to someone and say, here's a situation, what else do we need to know? Um, schools have learned a lot through the last two years of COVID and specifically last year with the return to school. And so it's building on those things that we've learned on how to mitigate cleaning practices, uh, ventilation, the use of personal protective equipment, such as masking, distance, and those things, and building on it. Um, I think there's still more that we can learn and put into practice. As far as social distancing goes, I will tell you I'm in high school. It is impossible to social distance in hallways and in classrooms when we're sometimes I'm seated close to someone else. How 
does your approach for handling that, is that changing? Do you think it will change with different waves? That's a great question. And, and that's not something that guidance comes from above us. Um, we um, make sure that we are following um, best practices and guidance from a variety of uh, sources. Um, the Center for D Disease Control provides a lot of guidance that gets updated um, as we learn more about COVID and best practice. Um, personally, as a mom of two high school students, uh, I share that same concern. Um, and having worked in public health in COVID response for the first two years of COVID, um, it was terrifying for me knowing that my kids were going to be back in the classroom and that CDC guidance um, for the general public was a six feet distancing. Um, but then in schools, we had to be realistic and, um, you know, three feet. Um, but then having my kids come home and say, mom, there was definitely not three feet and that sense of anxiety and panic that they had during that time coming home. And so I kind of have to combine both hats, my public health nurse hat, my registered nurse hat, my mom hat, and um, remind them, you know, you are the only person that you can control. So that means making sure that you can protect yourself uh, in situations where other people may not be protecting themselves or others. So reminding them, hey, did you have your mask on all day? Did you wash your hands before you eat, after you use the restroom? Um, if you find yourself in the classroom and you're not feeling comfortable because you're seated too close to someone, advocate for yourself, T raise your hand. Let the teacher know that you have a concern. Are there other options? Can you work in another part of the classroom? Um, does the classroom have windows that could be open? Are you able to move your seat closer to an open window? Um, and those things. So really focusing on teaching them to advocate for themselves when they're not feeling comfortable. And I think that can be hard for us um, because naturally uh, we don't want to... Um, bring that attention to ourselves and say, hey, I'm feeling uncomfortable here, but letting them know and reminding them that um, they are the only ones who are in control of themselves. And so they have to help modify their the situations that are causing them concern. Um, I know for my, my kids, lunchtime was a big concern for them. Um, and for them, it was an internal battle. They wanted to spend time with their peers and be able to go out to lunch or um, do those things, but then also knowing, okay, social distancing is important. How can I still do that, but still have my social life and do those things as a, you know, a preteen or a teen um, and as students in general that we, we wanna do? Um, it's difficult. Uh, but I think advocating for ourselves and being aware of those things that we can change and have control of is really important. So I think, as you mentioned, balancing wanting peer interaction and having to distance yourself, that's something that we've been struggling with since the beginning of the pandemic. We've all struggled with it. How do you recommend dealing with that? How do you recommend staying close to people emotionally, but when you need to staying away from people physically. Yeah, that's that's difficult. It's hard. I, I remember um, when COVID first hit 
and we were all um, kind of tucked into our own little bubbles and um, isolating or quarantining or just being home. Um, and I turned on the television and the people on TV were hugging each other or not wearing masks, um, shaking hands, all these different things. I was just like, I had this internal sense of panic, like, oh my gosh, you guys are too close. And I had to realize emotionally for me, the, the emotional impact that COVID was having and that underlying level of anxiety um, that we can all feel um, and realize that we're all feeling that. Um, I think it's important to still utilize um, other measures of staying in contact. Um, text messaging is huge. It's all, you know, it's, it's huge in the adolescence. It's huge for adults. Um, it's huge for um, younger students that have access to that. Um, being able to participate in online uh, activities um, has been really phenomenal. I've been very impressed um, with those things. Um, and to be able to use those as tools to continue to social distance, but still stay connected. Um, video calls and things like that are a great way. We had to utilize that with our family for our kid, my kids staying in contact with grandparents and extended family. Um, so they still felt like they had those connections, but then we could also feel like we were keeping those people who would be at a more of a risk safe as well. We'll be right back. Alaska Teen Media Institute is looking for youth to join our team. As a youth producer, you can conduct interviews like the one you're listening to right now, edit audio, record voiceovers, help write scripts, and much more. And all of that is paid work. So if you are between the ages of 13 and 24, living in Alaska, and interested in joining at me, go to alaskateammedia.org slash join. You can also email us at news at alaskateammedia.org. Now back to Edison's interview with Wendy Williams. What role do vaccines play in your work with students and staff and has the presence of vaccination for students and staff changed anything? Vaccinations has always been something that's been huge from a school standpoint. Um, it is a state law. Um, vaccinations are required for school. Um, and it's something that is a great tool. I think, um, as always, we have to be consumers of our health care um, and be educated if you have concerns. Um, do do the research and make sure that you're finding information from reputable sources and from a variety of reputable sources um, to really um, get those questions answered and then to reach out, um, talk to trusted health professionals, ask the questions and concerns that you have regarding vaccines and safety. Um, at the end of the day, from a medical perspective, I think vaccines have really been phenomenal in the prevention of illness. And as we have had that, we've seen the decline of a lot of very dangerous infectious diseases. And as that decline has occurred, then we're not seeing the impact of the disease um, 
on a regular basis. And I think it can be easy to forget what it is that we're preventing and why we're preventing it. And for me personally, for my own children, um, being able to provide them some protection, knowing that it's safer protection source than the actual illness itself um, has been phenomenal for me as a parent because I, as a mom, don't want to see my children sick or hurting or suffering long-term complications. So um, any extra boost that I can give them is something that I want to do. I think lately a lot of people think we're out of the woods. I think it is also, it seems like it's a little bit of we're just tired of it. But in your medical opinion, do you think that we still need to protect ourselves? Is COVID still that big of an issue? Do we still need to be worried? And if so, how do we need to protect ourselves? Um, that's a great question. And I think with COVID, it's not something that's going to just go away. I think we're going to be dealing with COVID for a long time just like we have been dealing with other illnesses for a very long time, including vaccine-preventable illnesses, um, measles, mumps, rubella, polio. Um, those are all diseases that we've seen a huge decline in because of vaccinations, um, but they are not completely gone, and we still see resurgence of those um, illnesses. And so having an understanding and educating ourselves is for me what I would want um, people to know from a medical perspective. Um, being aware is great. Educating yourself is phenomenal. Um, but putting that into practice is amazing. And we want to be able to help ourselves, but then from a humanitarian perspective, be able to help those around us and keep those around us safe. So are we out of the woods of COVID? No, I think COVID's here to stay. Um, as much as I'd love to wave my magic wand and go back to three years ago, um, I think that there has been um, some positive takeaways from COVID as well. And so um, I think we will need to learn to live with it. And as it resurges in our area, um, and impacts our bubble, we need to rely back on the basics of those things that we can do to keep ourselves healthy and then help keep those around us healthy as well. Uh, given what we now know about COVID and long COVID, including access to vaccines and treatments and also the continuing variants of the virus, do you think students should be masking this fall? I think it's a personal decision. I think um, we have a lot more research and education behind COVID um, to be able to tell us when we should mask. And so for those of us who are individually um, more susceptible, whether it's through other health issues or complications, or if we're living in a family where we have um, people who could be impacted or suffer from more complications related to COVID, that it's important for us to be aware of that. Um, me personally, as a mom, I definitely want my kids to continue to mask. Viruses are sneaky little creatures. 
and they want to survive too. And so they are going to continue to adapt and change. We see that with influenza. Uh, we see that with all viruses. They're constantly changing and adapting. Um, and with this virus being so novel or new, um, we definitely have it in the forefront. And because it's so new, it's hit the world in numbers that were unprecedented. And so I think we need to be aware that it's something that we're going to have to continue to monitor and then start using those precautions again to help limit the spread, which in turn will also help limit the changes and variations of variants that are occurring. Since the very, very beginning of COVID, we have had an influx of information and it's very it's been very difficult to figure out what's true what should we listen to and there's always always new information and so it's always am I still following this how do I follow this how do you suggest people educate themselves how do we keep on top of the information to make sure we are following the best ways to keep ourselves safe that's a great question um, I think being aware that information is changing and as we learn more, that um, how we respond is going to need to change as well. And so um, having a little bit of forgiveness for um, the entities that are helping create the guidance and policies, um, we're all doing the best that we can um, to make sure that we are taking care of ourselves and those around us. Um, and so utilizing the resources uh, where there is research and best practice and it is peer-reviewed by professionals. Um, and so utilizing those um, organizational um, websites um, like the CDC, the, you know, the World Health Organization, um, and making sure that we are getting our information from reliable sources um, it's easy to kind of put ourselves into our own little vacuum of information. Um, and there's a lot of information coming at us from so many sources. And at the end of the day, just remembering where or how did they get this information? Is it accurate? Um, and does it make sense? You've already mentioned that you're planning on getting education in schools about COVID to make sure that people do know what we're doing. But like we just said, things change a lot. Are you planning on having a continually updated way of giving students information that they need to keep themselves safe? Yeah. Um, ultimately, um, at the end of the day, the um, individual school districts um, have the choice on what they are sharing, our websites and our information. Um, as we get new and updated information, we want to make sure that that information is updated and available to the public, to the school districts, to the school nursing um, staff, so they have that information. And so we, we have a variety of ways that we can do that, not just through updating the resources on our website, but providing um, emails out um, through our organizations, our Alaska State School Nurse Association, um, getting emails out to listservs of nurses. Um, same with um, 
with the educational side of that um, through the state, um, through behavioral health and chronic disease prevention. Um, and so school districts across the state um, get to take in the information that we provide and ultimately um, they're responsible for working with their school board, their school staff, and their community for what's best for their individual area. Um, but yeah, we are always going to make sure that the information that we're putting out is as up to date as possible and that we're sharing new information um, as soon as we get it. COVID has dominated the public health conversation for the last two and a half years. What other health concerns for students are you and your team preparing to address for the coming school year? Oh, that's a great question. Um, it feels like for a long time, um, health issues had been kind of put to the side as COVID was such the main focus. Um, from a, a school health standpoint, um, there's so many topics that we want to continue to focus on. Um, mental health and wellness is huge. Um, preventing suicide. We've seen um, behavioral and emotional health really take a hard hit through COVID and making sure that we can provide support and resources. Um, vaccinations, not just for um, COVID, but for all childhood immunizations. Um, as COVID progressed, we saw a decline in the number of students who were vaccinated for things that they would normally be vaccinated for. Um, and so we wanna make sure that, that parents are aware of what other vaccinations are still available. So those students can be protected, uh, not just from COVID, but from all things. Um, and then physical activity is another big component um, that has kind of gone to the wayside, especially as you know we had a lot of lockdown time, um, may not be participating in the same sports or activities that we participated in pre-COVID. Um, so there's a lot of areas um, that we need to focus on again. And it's, it's really important that we kind of go back and look at those things um, to make sure that that information is out there. You mentioned mental health. What is your jurisdiction for dealing with how the pandemic has affected students in, with their mental health and how much of that responsibility falls on school nurses? That's a great question. Um, in a school, the school nurses um, may not necessarily have um, other supports from a mental health standpoint. Um, some schools have school counselors, some don't. Um, and so oftentimes the school nurse can be the primary resource for parents and families and students. Um, school nurses are really phenomenal at getting information to families that they need to be able to follow up. Um, and so a school nurse um, will talk to the parent, will talk to the student and provide recommendations, um, you know, for continuing medical evaluation or care in those other areas. Um, I think that's one thing I can't stress enough is um, communication and um, for students and parents and teachers to make sure that they're working together. And um, if students are struggling to be able to say, hey, I'm having issues with X, Y, or Z, and I need a little bit more help with this. Um, it's not easy to do, but it's really important uh, because if 
students are preoccupied and focused on, um, you know, being stressed out about things, um, feeling like they're not safe or they want to self-harm or if they're having chronic headaches or not being able to focus. Um, those are all things that are going to impact their education. And that is the job of a student. That's their primary job is to learn and learn how to be a lifelong learner um, so they can accomplish the goals uh, that they have lifelong. And if we're, if they're distracted by those outside things, then they're not going to be able to focus fully on, on that job. So making sure that students know it is paramount to be able to communicate uh, when you need a little bit more help. And if you're not comfortable talking to a family member, um, making sure that you have a trusted adult in your life that you can talk to. Um, I know for me, for my, for my own children, um, they'll often come to me after they've um, spent hours talking to their friends. And I wanna remind, I, or I do remind them frequently that I, I understand that you had to run this by your friends, but maybe having a trusted adult that you can run that by who has more life experience or resources that they can provide you um, is a better first line option to get the help that you need. Um, and then you're also not unloading your problems on your friend who may not be able to process that or um, deal with that emotionally and then that distracts them from their job. So um, I think for me, yeah, making sure that students and families know what their resources are, but then utilizing uh, those resources and finding a trusted adult that they can talk with to get more help. So mental health, is it one of your concerns that you address in your work with school nurses and how do you plan on addressing it this school year with so much that's changed? Mm -hmm. So that is one of our goals um, for the school nurse consultant team is to look at um, burnout and the emotional health and wellness and being able to find ways to support um, not only students, but the educators and the support staff within schools. So we have, um, as, our, as that being one of our goals for the 22-23 school year, a committee that's working on that and looking at what is best practices, what tools and resources can we provide to districts uh, so they can optimize their health and wellness, not only physically, but emotionally as well. Um, and then there's other departments uh, within the state as well, where um, that is their entire focus, is behavioral health within the school. And so we work together with them um, and to be able to provide tools and resources that are going to be able to help students and the school districts. What advice do you have for students and teachers as we get ready for the coming school year? Take a deep breath. <laughs> the school year is long and um, we have to be able to break it down into baby steps to get through it and taking each day, day by day or class by class uh, just to get through. Um, it can be overwhelming uh, to think about it as a whole, um, but 
it's one test at a time, it's one class at a time, it's one day at a time, and being able to focus on the here and now and doing what you need to do to get through that day because when we look back, all of a sudden it's going to be May again and the seniors will be graduating and sixth graders will be transitioning to seventh grade and kindergartners will have just graduated from their first year of school. Um, but it's going to be a step-by-step -step process. That was AMI producer Addison Wallace-Moyer speaking with Wendy Williams, the school nurse consultant for the state of Alaska. You've been listening to Podcast in Place, from Alaska Team Media Institute. Our show's theme music was composed by Devin Schreckengost with additional music from Kendrick Whiteman. You can find these stories at alaskateammedia.org where we have included resources for youth in partnership with the State of Alaska Division of Behavioral Health. Alaska Team Media Institute is based in Anchorage, Alaska. We would like to acknowledge the Denina people whose land we work on. Many thanks to the supporters of our podcast, including the CDC Foundation Arts and Vaccine Confidence Project. The opinions, findings, and conclusions or recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of our funders. Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our programs and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Alaska and help keep our podcast going, you can support us through Patreon. It's a membership platform that makes it easy for you to support creative endeavors like AtMe. Just go to patreon.com slash alaskateammedia. You can also help out by subscribing to, rating, or writing a review of our series on Apple Podcasts. Every little bit helps us get our stories out there. And don't forget to check out our website, alaskateammedia.org. There you can learn more about what our organization does, discover more youth-produced content, or find out how to get involved. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all sorts of updates. For Alaska Team Media Institute, I'm Madison Knudsen. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. We'll get through this together.